Hello, and welcome to Things I Wish You Knew, the podcast, where we share real stories of pregnancy and infant loss straight from the bereaved parents themselves. Baby loss is such a lonely experience, but we don't have to go through it alone. Your stories matter, your babies matter, so let's talk about them. I'm your host, Laura Rizzo, stillbirth, miscarriage, and living kiddo mama. You'll never hear me apologize for my grief, but you'll definitely hear plenty of unfiltered thoughts and raw honesty. So buckle up, get your tissues handy, and let's talk baby loss. Welcome to the first ever episode of Things I Wish You Knew, the podcast. Today is a solo show. I'll be the guest and I'll be talking about my experiences as a stillbirth loss mom with a prior living child. My name's Laura. I live in Massachusetts with my husband, Pete, my five-year-old daughter, Luna, my one-year-old son, Julian, and our anxious dog, Cosmo. On February 1st, 2021, our son, Nico Robert, was born still after an otherwise healthy and normal pregnancy. Our worlds were turned upside down and our hearts completely broken and shattered. After Nico's death, I turned to social media to find others who had been through similar loss. I ended up creating an account of my own and fast forward to now, three years later, and here I am beginning a podcast in honor of Nico on his third birthday. So yes, if you're tuning in on the launch date, February 1st, then you are joining and celebrating with me. Nico's third birthday. So thank you. So now without any further ado, let's talk baby loss. For those of you who don't know me, I'm a stillbirth and miscarriage mama, as well as a mom to two living kids, one before my losses and another one after. I created an Instagram account about four and a half months after my son Nico died. I longed for a sense of community of people who could relate to what I had been through because I just felt so alone. I didn't know anybody in real life who had experienced a similar loss. Feeling seen and being validated in my grief has been so healing for my heart. In creating my account, I've always hoped to reach even just one person to make them feel the same. So here we are today launching this podcast on Nico's third birthday to hopefully make that happen. My story of loss isn't all that unique, uh, but it is one worth sharing. Before I ever experienced baby loss, I was completely unaware that people still had stillbirths and also just as unaware of how common pregnancy loss truly was. I was working as a wedding photographer and a stay-at-home mom at the time, Uh, planning out how my husband and I would have three kids, all roughly two years apart. Um, And that ended up happening, just not at all how we envisioned it. Our firstborn, Luna, uh, was a normal pregnancy by all means. Giving birth to her was also pretty standard, despite her coming out sideways and a team of doctors and nurses rushing into the room when her heart rate dropped and they needed to use a vacuum to get her out. Fortunately, they got her out quickly and everything was fine. What could have been a traumatic experience ended really well. And because of all that, I went into my next pregnancy with Nico thinking, I got this. This is easy. And thinking I knew everything there was to possibly know. Um, Our daughter Luna is five now, um, and I became pregnant with Nico when she was about one and a half. Um, And so we were excited to be growing our family and for it to be looking the way we had hoped and we had planned. When I was pregnant with Nico, it was during the pandemic, um, and I didn't do anything during that time. I was so nervous about catching COVID while pregnant and just not knowing the risks. And I was really playing it as safe as I possibly could. And again, it was a completely normal, healthy pregnancy by all standards until it wasn't. (laughs) Um, One night uh, at 31 weeks, I had realized I hadn't really felt Nico move much that day. Um, It had been a pretty busy day, though, so 
I, in my brain, just chalked it up to me being on the move too much and I didn't concern myself. Looking back, I I kick myself um, because that obviously is one of my what ifs, but I didn't have the knowledge then that I have now. So I've come to accept to accept it more and to not blame myself. But so that night in bed, I I was trying to pay more attention to his movements. Um, and that night I didn't feel him like I normally did. And that kept me up. Normally it was his kicks that were keep, keeping me awake, but not that night. Uh, super early in the morning, I called labor and delivery and they had me come in. In my gut, I knew something was wrong, but I kept willing him to move the entire car ride to the hospital. I couldn't say out loud what I was worried about because I didn't want to will it to be true and I didn't want it to believe it to be true. It felt like the longest car ride of my life getting to the hospital. When we finally got there, they brought us in for an ultrasound right away. Um, seeing seeing his stillness on the screen in what looked like just a still image, I immediately knew he was gone in that moment. It was striking. I remember holding back tears because I wanted so badly to be wrong. And nobody had said anything yet. And then I heard the nurse say, I'm so sorry. And with that is when the tears started flowing for me. It was all confirmed with those three words that our son had died and our family would never be the same again. Um, I couldn't look at my husband right away. Because I, I just instantly felt so much guilt and I couldn't look at him. And I remember him asking what could be done and hearing the nurse say nothing was heartbreaking all over again. And the next, the next few days, the next few weeks and months really – it was just one heartbreaking moment after another, after another. But that time in the hospital, honestly, it was just such a blur. After that, um, we had to decide how to proceed. And so we ended up going home, making a few calls, which were all absolutely awful, um, having to tell people that Nico had died and apologizing to people as if I let them down. Looking back, it's it's wild to me to think about, but in the moment, I that's all I could say to everyone, to my mother, was just sorry. I felt I felt so guilty. <laughs> um but so anyways, we made those calls and made plans for family to come help take care of our daughter because she couldn't come with us. Um, obviously giving birth, you know, she wouldn't be there, but even just because of COVID, she couldn't come with us to the hospital at all. Um, had to pack a hospital bag. I even stopped to take a shower. Like I was just in survival mode of what task needs to get done next. And I was just like checking things off a list, trying to get through it, um, all before heading back to the hospital to deliver Nico. At that point, we hadn't picked out a name for Nico yet, um, but Nico was on our short list of names. Somehow, though, my husband and I both knew it was him. I remember when we were in the hospital, my husband just looked at me and said, it's Nico. And I nodded. And like I said, due to COVID restrictions, our daughter couldn't come to the hospital to meet her brother. So we decided we were going to let her have a hand in naming him. Um, whenever we would ask Luna what her brother's name was when I was pregnant with him, 
she would always point to my belly and yell, Bob. No idea why, no clue where it came from. And Bob was by no means on our list of names. Um, But because of that and because she couldn't meet him, we kind of, you know, put two and two together and we named our sweet boy Nico Robert. The nurses didn't ask his name to write it down on the board in our hospital room like they usually do when when your baby is alive. Um, so my husband took it upon himself to to write it. And I just remember staring at it when I was in the hospital waiting to deliver um, and how beautiful it was and how heartbreaking it was all at the same time. Um, and just the simple fact that nobody asked what his name was from the very beginning, um, just kind of looking back on it, it, it kind of predicted how people would be in regards to talking about Nico or saying his name or asking questions about him moving forward. And that's a whole nother heartbreaking topic for another day about talking about how how people don't ask a lot of the time. And, but yeah, that is a topic for another day, friends. Um, when we were in the hospital, like waiting to deliver Nico, um, we watched Family Feud in our room the entire time to pass the time. Um, and honestly, we acted like it wasn't happening. Um, We didn't really talk much about the realities of why we were there. We were disassociating with with reality. Um, And, you know, just family feud is what helped us get through that. Uh, But once it came time to push, I... um, I remember just continuously yelling out, I can't do this. I can't do this. And I remember the doctor saying, yes, you can. And and I understand why that was said, but I wasn't saying I can't do this because I didn't think I physically could. I already had a living daughter. I'd already gone through giving birth. I knew I could do it. I wasn't worried about the giving birth part. It was that I didn't want to. I wanted to hold on to Nico for as long as I could because I knew I knew once he was out, I knew once he was delivered that that was it and that I wouldn't be able to take him home and I wouldn't be able to do all the things and I knew it would make it real. And I I didn't want to face reality and I wasn't ready to. I was just so scared. And at the same time, I was just hoping for some sort of miracle that once he was born, would hear him crying and everything would just be a bad dream. And that, oh my gosh, how everyone was wrong and he's alive. And it was just so much and so heavy emotionally, and then to also physically go through giving birth at that same time, it's it's wild to look back on. Um, and yeah, it's still it still chokes me up because I don't know how I ever would have been ready for something like that. I don't think anybody ever is. Um, but yeah, I just didn't want to give birth to him. I didn't want him leaving my body. It would make it too real. Um, but obviously, I gave birth, and obviously, we didn't hear him crying. Um, and I remember how silent it was in that room 
how everybody else was so silent and how Nico was so silent. Not my husband and I. Obviously, we were crying and loud. But to compare that to when our daughter was born prior to him and knowing how differently the doctors and nurses react when your baby is born and how differently it sounds in the room when you hear your baby crying. It was so, it was so striking to me, the difference. And looking back to compare them, it's like, it's just worlds apart. And I don't have any profound point to make on that, but having gone through a positive birth experience to then go through that just made it all the more real to me as to how this is not how it should be. And this is not what we should be experiencing right now. So after Nico was born, the nurses wrapped him up and gave him back to us. Um, They asked multiple times if that's what we wanted. And it almost seemed like they were trying to tell us, like, I don't think you really want this without saying it. But I mean, I was sure that like, I needed to see him and hold him and be with him. And so that's what we did. I held him, sang to him, told him lots of bad jokes that parents all tell, um, kissed him and snuggled him, told him how much we love him. And uh, the nurses put a blue hat on him. And I remember my my dad had um, passed away previously before Nico. And my mother would always say how my dad would send us cardinals. And I saw the blue hat on Nico. And for whatever reason, like I thought of my dad and the birds. And I said to Nico, like, oh, maybe, maybe you'll send us blue jays. And ever since then, that just kind of stuck. And anytime we see blue jay, I think of him and I'll say out loud, hi, Nico. Um, and that winter after, um, he was born after he died, I saw more blue jays in my life than I'd ever seen blue jays before. Um, but I digress. (laughs) Um, anyways, in the hospital with him, it was, it was all really hard to say the absolute least. Um, but I'm so glad that we took that time to make those few memories with Nico. That time with him, it's the only tangible memories that my husband and I have. And yes, they're hard. And yes, it's traumatic. And thinking back on it and looking back on it isn't easy. But again, it's the only memories we have of being physically with him. And it's just a couple hours. So in that time, we took pictures with him. And I'm just so grateful for those pictures, too. Because, again, that's all we have. Um, When he was born, a lot of people, when they talk about their baby who was stillborn, will will say they were born sleeping. Um, I don't like that. For, For Nico, I don't like that. Because... He was actually born with his eyes open, so he didn't look like he was sleeping, Um, which that in and of itself was hard to look at with with his eyes, to look at him when he had his eyes open. But in in a different way, it was also so beautiful because our daughter, who was born before him, when she was born, her eyes were open right away, instantly. And everyone commented on it, how like, oh my goodness, I can't believe she's this alert already. And she just wants to see the world. And so when Nico was born and his eyes were open, 
I had that same thought about about how wow he just he just wanted to see the world. And I wish he could. I wish he could have. So after um, spending some time with him, the nurses took him him back for the night. And we stayed overnight. And the next morning, we got to spend some more time with Nico again. Um, but that time, when we were done, we had to say goodbye. Like, for good. <laughs> And any parent who's been in that situation knows how incredibly hard and traumatic that moment is. For me, that was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. And I think I think the hardest thing I ever will have to do. Um, I, again, after holding him and, and not wanting to let him go, but knowing I had to, I had to to pick a moment. Essentially, I had to say, okay, now I'm ready. Even though I, if I could have, I would have stayed there forever. Um, but I had to pick a moment and literally pick up the phone in our hospital room to call the nurse's station and tell them, okay, like you can come and, and take him. And saying that, it still breaks my heart to think about. Um, I had to set him down. Gave him so many last kisses. I couldn't even tell you how many. And I had to watch the nurse wheel him away. And to see someone take your baby away and know that's the last time you're going to see them. I can't imagine any pain greater than that. I literally collapsed into the bed and into my husband's arms and just let out the deepest wail and cry. It was like an earth-shattering, heartbreaking moment and the worst moment of my life. Um, and it's still three years later now. It's still so hard and traumatic for me to think about. But I honestly don't imagine that that moment will ever feel easy to think about and I take some comfort in that as I'm sitting here crying now um, because I know that my tears are are normal and to be expected when when thinking about this and and talking about it. Um, but again, as every lost parent out there knows, it doesn't end there. It doesn't just end with with giving birth or with the goodbye. There's just like the stupid stuff of in the hospital having to then gather all our things and pack our bags and like f bring paperwork with us and walk out of the hospital and drive home. Like all of these things that we're doing without our baby, that we should be taking a baby home with us. We just, I just gave birth and now we're leaving the hospital empty handed. And to do that and then immediately go home and have to parent our then two-year-old, my husband and I could barely take care of ourselves at that time. And to have to jump back into parent mode to take care of her was, it was just a lot to have to explain to her that there wasn't a baby in my belly anymore, that her brother had died and and then also begin planning a funeral for our son in the hospital we had to make the choice of if we we're going to bury or cremate and start contacting funeral homes and 
Um, that, and that was all wild. <laughs> and it's something I never had even thought about before for myself, let alone for my child. Um, in the end, we chose to cremate because for me, I needed to be able to take Nico home with us. I needed to be able to say that he was coming home with us in some way. Um, and so we decided to to cremate him so we could do that. Um, and that choice is just one among many choices that we never anticipated having to make. It wasn't just a hard day when Nico died. It was a traumatic few days followed by an impossible few weeks, an extremely rough year, and so on and so on. Grief-wise, I feel like my heart is more healed now than it was then, obviously. Um, But it's something I'm going to carry with me forever. I will love Nico forever, just as I love my living kids forever. So this grief isn't going anywhere Um, it just shows up in different ways now and it comes in waves. So all the what ifs and wondering what he would have been like change year to year. It's not any easier or harder. It's, it's honestly just different. Um, people say time heals all wounds and that's not true. Time doesn't heal wounds. Time changes them. And that's something I've learned in the three years since Nico has died. It's that my wounds are there and they're always going to be there. They're just different. And they can be different from one day to the next. And they're definitely different and they're definitely changing from year to year. I've also changed as a person a lot since Nico died. Uh, I've had to let a lot of people and passions go um, that they just weren't good for me and good for my heart anymore. To me, if you can't stand with me in my darkest times and my darkest moments, then I just don't think you deserve to stand with me in the good times. So I've had to let people go and it sucks, truly. It really does. But it's what's been best for me. I know a lot of other people, a lot of other lost parents I've talked to have been in similar situations where they've had to let people go, people that they thought were best friends. But I guess this is just part of the territory of of being a lost parent. Not that it happens for everyone, but I think hearing about a dead baby makes people so uncomfortable that they shut down and they don't want to talk to us about it or they act like it's contagious or they just don't know what to say and so they choose to not say anything at all. And all of those things make us, or I'll speak for myself, make me feel like you don't fully care about me. Because if you did, then you would sit with me in those uncomfortable moments and you would recognize that you being uncomfortable is just just like the tip of the iceberg for how uncomfortable and how awful I feel. And so the people who have shown up for me, who sit with me in those moments, who I can tell feel uncomfortable, but still listen and still talk to me and still ask questions, those are my people. And those will forever be my people. Now, I'm not about to spew any words of wisdom or act like things get better, because at the end of the day, Nico... And all of our babies should be alive and they should be home with us all. We should be watching them grow and making new memories with them. That said, Nico inspired me to create and nurture this beautiful online community since his death. It initially started as a way for me to feel less alone and to let all the things out I was thinking and wish people knew or understood. But I continue now because I know how much validation helps people feel seen and and not alone in what is otherwise an extremely lonely experience. People outside of the baby loss community don't typically like to talk to us about our experiences or our babies with us. So 
So I do. <laughs> um, speaking about them helps so much. So the least I can do in Nico's memory is to keep honoring him by speaking about him and also speaking about all his little buddies who have been gone too soon as well. I also keep his legacy alive by doing acts of kindness each year on his birthday, and I always encourage our loved ones to join in. Honestly, not many do, but the few who do and reach out to tell me, ugh, it's it means the absolute world to me to hear others speak his name and remember him and and to know that they're doing good things in the world because of him. It's the biggest gift anyone could ever give me. And it means so much. So now I'm going to stop and circle back um, to speak a little bit more on what it's like to be a stillbirth lost mom with a prior living child. I already talked a little bit about how going home and going right into parent mode uh, after Nico dying, um, how hard that was um, to have to parent a two-year-old and be responsible for her. It was a lot. Um, and so I want to touch more on the things I wish people knew about that specifically. So things I wish people outside of the lost community knew is that Going home to a living child, for me, amplified my pain in some ways. It also made me feel the need to hide my grief at first. I had to give birth to my dead son, give him back, and then go home to my living toddler and immediately resume my role as her mom. I couldn't just sit and cry even if I wanted to or needed to, and and I needed to, to be honest, at times. I really did. Um, I couldn't just stay in bed all day when a lot of the time that's what I wanted or what my body like felt like it needed. Um, so I really couldn't do all the things that I needed to do because my two-year-old needed me to make sure her basic needs were being met. She needed me to feed her, to read books with her, to bathe her, to put her to bed, to play with her, and so on and so on. And I think lots of people assume that it was good for me um, to go home to her, to keep busy after Nico died, and and that having my daughter at home was also good for me because, oh, how grateful I should be to have a living child. Um But see, like, that's good and bad. There's good and bad to that. My daughter definitely gave me reason to get up, go out and do things. And I'm so grateful for that. But it was also so hard to enjoy those things with her and to have fun, to play anything. Um, It felt like I was betraying Nico somehow in those moments And I already felt so guilty about him to have that feeling of like, oh, I'm laughing with my with my toddler. But just a couple days ago, my son died. Like, how is this right? And I couldn't justify it in my head. I wasn't able to justify it yet. And so that that made it harder for me. Um, And I also wasn't able to take care of me in the ways that I needed to. Um, I put all of my needs on the back burner for a while um, because I was taking care of a two-year-old and I had to prioritize her. Um, And then outside of that, like, I also wanted to make sure that my husband was okay and, you know, that him and I as a relationship were okay. And so Laura, as the individual, didn't get what she needed for a very long time. And being a parent to a living child prior to my loss added to that tenfold. Again, there's good things to going home to a living child um, to be able to hold her and snuggle with her and, um, and just have her there. 
was so comforting in a lot of ways too. So I don't want that to get twisted. But I think sometimes like we just don't talk about the ugly side of it. And so that's what I wanted to shine a light on a little bit. Um, And just one more piece of advice while I'm, you know, on this note is any support people out there, let me just say my piece of unsolicited advice right now, never ever under any circumstances tell a lost parent who has living children to be grateful for our living children. Because trust me, we are. We are so grateful for them. But that doesn't negate our grief over our baby that just died. Saying things like that is extremely dismissive, even if you mean well. And your impact matters so much more than your intention. So I say this with love. I really do. Um, But don't ever say that to a lost parent. And I'm sure there's going to be a few lost parents out there who disagree with me, who don't have a problem with hearing that. But for me and with a lot of people I've talked to who have living kids prior to their loss, it it's like, for me, it's like a, like a gut punch. Like, of course, I am grateful for my living daughter. But me being grateful for her being alive and me being grateful for her being here has nothing to do with the pain and the heartbreak and the grief I have over the fact that my son died and that my son should be here. Because two things can be true at the same time. And those two things can be true at the same time. Um, But yes, I'm going to step down off my high horse on that one. (laughs) And I want to talk a little bit about the things I wish people within the lost community knew uh, about being a lost parent with prior living children. Um, so sometimes for me, if honestly, it feels like I don't truly belong in this community. Now, I, I know that's not true. And I know I'm the first to tell others who have living kids how they do belong in this community. Um, And no matter what type of loss you belong in this community. But for me, there, there are days that I feel like an imposter because I have never known what it is like to have your first pregnancy and in loss and to go home to an empty house. And I think that there's something just so different about that type of loss and that grieving process compared to mine, where I had to go home to a toddler and had to parent a living child while grieving. That's very different than going home to an empty house. Um, And that's something we'll talk about in a future episode as well. But yeah, because of that, there are times that I feel like I can't fully share about my living kids um, within the community. So so I don't. And so I hold back a little bit. Um, And that's because I don't want to cause any other lost parents additional pain. But the problem with that and why I do still share about them is because my living kids are involved and impact my grief over my dead ones. And yes, I said ones. I'll talk about Sweet Pea in a future episode. That is a whole nother story. (laughs) Um, I also, I get the vibe sometimes that I can't truly know what being a lost mom is since I am not just a lost mom. I'm a lost mom and a mom to living kids. And I've been like that since day one, since I've entered this community. Um, And to be honest, based on many conversations I've had with other lost moms who have living kids, this is a common feeling. And it's nobody's fault. Nobody has ever overtly said to me like, you don't belong here or you don't really know what it's like to be a lost mom. That's never happened. These are just vibes I get um, and just feelings that I have that 
seem like they're common feelings. I say all this and I share all this because I just want those those of you in the lost community that don't have living kids, I want you to know how hyper aware we are, or I am, again, I can't speak for everyone, but how hyper aware I am and even self-conscious at sometimes about the fact that I have living kids. Like, like I somehow shouldn't be as sad, which is ridiculous because babies don't replace babies, even if the living baby came first. And we all know this and we all talk about this, but it doesn't take away that feeling of I don't fully belong. And I I feel like a lot of us, a lot of us lost parents have that feeling for one run one reason or another, whether it's because you have living kids or because you think like your loss was so early that it doesn't count when it does. Um, or or if it's the type of loss, like termination for a medical reason, like all of these count and all of us belong within this community. Um, but again, I just want to share from my point of view as a stillbirth mom with prior living kids, I entered this lost community with that feeling already there. Um, and even all these years later, even after I've built this online community up, I still feel like that some days. Um, and yeah, I just wanted to share that. Now, things I wish I could tell myself prior to loss. Number one would be that stillbirth still happens, period. I was so blissfully unaware how this could happen. And and then the fact that it became my reality, um, I wish I was more educated on it. I wish I had the knowledge and had been empowered to speak up the second something felt off, um, where I already had a prior successful pregnancy with a living baby. I felt because of myself, but also because of the care that I was getting, I felt like everything was fine. And this was another normal, healthy pregnancy. So I had nothing to worry about. And I was pa- well past the safe zone and past viability. So I had nothing to worry about. And, you know, one thing I've never really talked about is when I was pregnant with Nico, I had an appointment one week before uh, he died, before he was stillborn. And at my appointments were like every other time it was either in-person or virtual because of the pandemic. And this was an in-person appointment. I had an ultrasound. Everything was fine. The nurse was giving me paperwork and she was like, oh, we don't have like enough printouts of, of like the kit count papers. We don't, we don't have that. Um, but you can just get that next time. And I remember her saying this, and I remember this happening, and I remember thinking, oh, yeah, like, whatever, I'll get it next time. No big deal. And, like, what a freaking big deal, right? Like, I wish so bad that I could tell myself, looking back, like, no, you stay and you ask for that, and you make sure you get that paperwork And you make sure they explain everything to you again, even though this is your second pregnancy. Like you need to be educated and be reminded and know what to do and how to do it because it's so important. Um, And yeah, like thinking back on that, like that's something I've never really talked about. And I don't think I've ever mentioned on social media that happened with me and It's wild how like passive that was as a moment when that should be something to be like, oh, no, you need this paperwork. I'm going to go print it and come back rather than, oh, you can get it next time. Anyways, I would tell myself to make sure I got that. I would tell myself that these things happen and that I need to feel empowered to speak up especially being in the middle of of a pandemic. 
And I say that because where my appointments were virtual like every other time, it never even crossed my mind that something could go wrong. And then if it did, that I could go in in person to get checked up, like to get looked at. Because that wasn't talked about. It was like, no, stay home. Like, we're going to do the appointments virtually because you're fine and everything's normal. So stay home because of COVID. Like, I I so wish I could tell myself, no, that's not how it works. You can go in and you should go in. Um, and, and maybe if I knew all that, maybe I would have done things differently. Maybe I wouldn't have, but maybe I would have. Um... We don't know what happened with Nico. We don't know why he died or what caused him to. We ran every test that we could. Um, We weren't allowed to um, give him an autopsy, which I still don't fully understand why. The only reasoning we were given was because of COVID, they weren't doing autopsies at the hospital at that time. Um. And at first, not having answers was really hard. Um, I know there's a lot of you out there who have gotten answers from um, a different doctor um, and and have, have learned the cause, and that's been good for you. Uh, for my husband and I, it's something that we have decided not to seek out. Um, I don't know if it would give me peace or if it would cause me more pain. So I'm comfortable currently not seeking that out. Um, But all that said, I don't know if Nico's death could have been prevented or if, you know, if there was nothing I could have done. But not knowing that and just having that thought that it possibly could have been preventable, like I would, I would be telling my past self all these things tenfold. Um, And really making sure I had the knowledge and I had the empowerment to speak up or to do something sooner than I did rather than just to blindly assume that everything was fine because why would anything be wrong? Um, And more than that too, I would make sure I told myself that uh, it's not my fault, no matter what, and that that Nico wouldn't want his mom to blame herself uh, or to feel guilt. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of things I wish the world knew about being a stillbirth mom with a prior living kid, but those are just a few. Those are just the tip of the iceberg for me. I will say this, though. Being a parent to living and dead children at the same time is not an easy thing. I never thought my life would look like this, Uh, taking one of my kids to dance class while figuring out how to keep the memory alive of another Wondering if one kid will have a meltdown at bedtime while wondering what the other kid would have been like at all. It's a lot to juggle, parenting living children versus parenting a dead one. And it looks very, very different. But just like grief and joy can coexist, something that I had to learn with time, this can be done as well. So to anyone out there parenting after loss, I see you. And please know on the days that you feel like you're not doing enough or wondering if your grief is negatively impacting your living child, please, 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 please know that the fact that you even have those thoughts tells me you're a great parent. Because if you weren't, you wouldn't care, right? And... Just remember to take care of yourself. Easier said than done, I know, but it's a necessity. And yes, I'm saying this for my own reminder as well, because we all need it. And if you happen to be a support person listening in, 
please take care of your friend or your family member. Go do something for them to help out without being asked. Take something off their plate without asking them for ideas on what to do. Drop off food or coffee. Tell them you're free on Wednesday or Thursday afternoon to watch their living kids so that they can have a break or take a shower or go for a drive, have a cry, whatever they need. And just remind them that you're there to listen if they need an ear and tell them that there's no pressure to respond. Just really just do something because anything is better than silence. Okay, that was a lot. And honestly, I was only able to scratch the surface of all the things I'm looking forward to talking about on here. Thank you so much for tuning in to the first ever episode of Things I Wish You Knew, the podcast. And tuning in today, if you if you happen to be tuning in today on the day it is dropping, thank you for celebrating Nico's third birthday with me, February 1st, 2024. I'm feeling really grateful to be able to do this in honor of him, another way to honor him and to leave a legacy behind for him. So thank you for being here. I appreciate you. There's so much more good content coming in future episodes, and I'm really looking forward to sharing all of that with you guys. As always, hate that you're here. Honored to have you. This episode is brought to you in part by Little Words Project. Little Words Project aims to inspire and encourage people to be kind to themselves and to pay that kindness forward one bracelet at a time. Not only do they have tons of cute bracelets with affirmations, they also offer custom bracelets, both beaded and their new dainty gold line. I personally wear my custom beaded bracelets with my kids' names on them every single day. Use code BALOSSMAMA at checkout for 15% off your order. Again, that's B-A-L-O-S-S-M-A-M-A at checkout for 15% off any order. Or see the show notes for the link to take you directly there.